Grab your Bible, turn to Psalm 131. If this is your first time with us, we've been walking through the Psalms of Ascents, Psalm 120 through 134, on our way to Easter. The Psalms of Ascents were pilgrim songs that the Jewish people would sing on their way to Jerusalem to worship in the temple uh, three times a year. Your family, your family's family, your clan, your people, your caravan uh, would all travel from wherever it was that you lived, into Jerusalem. They're called the Psalms of Ascents because they would sing these songs on the journey to Jerusalem. And as you journey to Jerusalem, you have to ascend because Jerusalem is built on a hill um, and surrounded by hills or mountains. Uh, So you can imagine uh, being there in the first century or before and and you're with your people and your cousins and you've been caravanning for a while and you you would stop three or four times, you know, to spend the night because it was a long journey depending on where you're coming from. So you're gathered there. If you're from the north, from Galilee, where Jesus was, you're gathered there along the Jordan River because the the main road that they would have taken to Jerusalem uh, went alongside the Jordan River. It crossed over it a few times. So they're camping by the Jordan River. You're camping there because there's water there. There's life there. Uh, And the men have built a humongous fire because it's humongous because, you know, there are a lot of men in the caravan. And anytime men are outdoors at nighttime, a fire has to happen. That's just like the rule. Men have been doing that from the beginning of time. Plus, you collect all these men together in this caravan. It would have been a very massive fire. And so you can imagine all the people of the caravan kind of surrounding the fire right before bed. And someone starts singing the first line of one of these psalms. And then the whole caravan, the whole congregation would have begun to sing it out around that campfire. And Psalm 131, somewhere along the journey, would have been sung. This is what it says. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I want you to think back through all the people you know. Your friends, your family, your neighbors, strangers, acquaintances, all the people that you know. How many of them would you describe as someone with a calm and quiet soul? You just start thinking. Somebody laughed. I don't know what that says about your friends. <laughs> How many? Five? Ten? I mean, look to the person on your right. Would you describe them as somebody with a calm and quiet soul? If not, don't tell them. You know, don't tell them. How many? You know, three, four, five. I started making a list. I don't think I could get too many people who are always the same. Not in a bad way, not in a boring way, but just you always know what you're going to get with these people. They're steady. How many steady people do you know? Whether times are great or times are bad, they are always the same. There is a steadiness about them. This psalm calls it a calm and quiet soul. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 12 says that God has ordained peace for you. It means he has decreed peace. He has willed peace for you. 
But how many of us have it? A calm and quiet soul is not just possible. It should be a distinctive about you as a son or daughter of God, a part of the people of God, followers of Jesus. Do you have a calm and quiet soul? Look at verse 2. He says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. It means he's taken some steps. He has calmed and quieted his soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now some of you are thinking, are we really going to talk about weaning here? Yes, we are. We're going for it. This is what men would describe as a lady psalm. We get to Psalm 131 and it's about weaning and it's like, well, that's not for me. That's for the ladies. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to think about that again. You know, but it's such a powerful psalm. So we don't want to skip it. But to, to understand the power of it, we have to just wade into it a little bit with weaning. So weaning is a, hello, Science 101. Weaning is, you got a baby and a mom. When that baby, that little infant, is with its mom, if it has not been weaned, it is not content to just be held. Babies like to do two things, sleep and eat. And they can't sleep when they are hungry. And any time that baby is held by its mother, if it's not been weaned, it is not content to just be held. Until it's weaned. So what this psalmist is saying is... You want a calm and quiet soul. It circles around contentment. The people who are content are people who have calm and quiet souls. Now go back up to verse 1 with that contentment in mind. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great. And too marvelous for me. So it's talking about babies. The babies aren't content. And all of us have experienced that. If you've been around a baby, you know that babies are not content. I have two children, Jackson, who's seven right now, and Annabeth is four. Annabeth was the perfect baby. I mean, she, you know, was born and then she slept for four months. It was amazing. She never woke up. We took the little girl on vacation. She, she didn't see any of it. She was just in her little carrier, just asleep the whole time. It was fantastic. We were so happy that Annabeth slept for four months because she was our second child. Our first child was Jackson. And I love Jackson with all my guts. When that kid was born into this world. I just loved him with such a fierce love. Love him so much it hurts. I couldn't be more in love with that kid, but he was not an easy baby. He was one of these babies that always has to be on the move. You know, men, how even if you're not a dad, you know, before I was a dad, um, I dreamed about that picture everybody's got in their minds where a dad is laying on the couch with the baby right here on his chest. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen that? Like, even men think that that is awesome. You know, men are not like feelers usually, but every man, when they see that, they're like, oh, you know, yeah, I want, I want that. I want that. That would be awesome. So I wanted that. And, and Jackson, he wouldn't let me have that. I got to do that like two times. You know, because he just always had to be moving around. Sometimes I would be at home watching him. Amanda would be off doing something. And you just couldn't make him happy. He always had to be moving around. Always had to be bouncing around. Thank God that God made those baby swings. Because I would put Jackson in it. And I would turn it on high. And he would just go back and forth. Back and forth. And I turned the TV on. I don't want to be the dad who turns the TV on to make their kids happy. But it was the only thing that would work for that kid. He was never content. And that's every child. Every child, 
You know, Annabeth slept for four months. She was the perfect baby. And then after four months, she woke up and then she got hard. Because you know that babies are not content. They're always in need. And the psalmist is saying, a calm and quiet soul is content. But then in verse 1, it's talking about things that are too marvelous for us. Things that are too wonderful for us. Things that are beyond our reach and grasp. Now look at it in your, in your Bible. It's kind of offensive, isn't it? Because we live in a culture that says nothing is too wonderful for you. Nothing is beyond you. You can have whatever you want and do whatever you want. I grew up in a generation, and that was the message that we were told. You can be anything that you want to be. You can do anything that you want to do. I remember some of my very first memories of school was our school counselor, Dr. Suits, came in. Dr. Suits had a massive, amazing beard. And he would come in, and he would do little puppets, little dolphin puppets, and there would be a story. And Dr. Suits' main two messages were, were that you were special, number one. He'd write it on the board, and he, he would write it on the board, and it was you are special. And the second message is that whatever you want to do, you can do. Whatever you put your mind to, you can do. You can be anything that you want to be. And then I became an adult, and I realized that that's not true. That's not true. The reason I know that is because I'm terrible at art. That's terrible. I can't draw. I can't color. I can't write. This is terrible. Have been from the very beginning. You know, Jackson and Annabeth and I will color, and it's a contest for who is worse. You know? We're all bad. I couldn't be an artist. That's something that's not my thing. It's a sign of maturity is knowing what God made you to do and what he didn't make you to do. And what the psalmist is saying in verse 1 about these things that are too marvelous and too wonderful for us, circling around contentment, is that you and I need to be content to just run in the lane that God has given us to run. That these are the things that God has made me to do. These are the things that God has given me to do. But you look over and he's given and made other people to do other things, but not you. But that's not how it works in our feelings and emotions and in our culture. No, we want to be able to look at somebody else's lane and say, well, I want that lane. I want that house and I want that bank account and I want those kids and I want that wife and I want that husband and I want you know, those vacations and I, I want that spending money and I want that job and I want you know, that retirement. I want those hobbies. I want that truck. And we live in a culture where people would tell us, well, just look at the other lane. What lane do you want to run in? Well, go run in that lane. If you have it in your power to do it, then you should do it. But the psalmist is saying, no, people who have calm and quiet souls are content to run in the lane that God has given them. And they let other people run in the lane that God has given them. They just keep their eyes on what God has given them to do. Now, does that mean that we're lazy? Does that mean that you know, we should say, no, I don't, I don't want that promotion. I'm sorry because it's too marvelous for me. What does it say that we, we should just stick with our life the way it is now? The way it is now is the way it's always should be. And we shouldn't try to make it better or shouldn't try to make it easier. Is that what it's saying? No. In fact, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 16. We see this in the scripture. You remember after Jesus has been raised from the dead in John chapter 21... Jesus is on the beach 
of the Sea of Galilee with the disciples, and he's talking to Peter. And he's talking to Peter, he's building up Peter, because the last scene we got of Peter is Peter denying Jesus three times, just pretending that he didn't know Jesus. And, and now Jesus is restoring him, he's building him up, because Peter is going to be uh, huge, he's going to be a key cog in the church that Jesus is building. And, and so he's building him up, and as he's building him up, in John chapter 21, Jesus gives Peter just a little glimpse of Peter's future. And Peter immediately looks over his shoulder and he says, well, what about him? Pointing to John, the disciple. John was, is referred to all the way through the gospel of John as the beloved disciple. A few scenes earlier, John is there at the Last Supper reclining his head on Jesus. And so Peter gets his lane. He gets his assignment. He goes, well, what about him? And Jesus says, essentially, what we do with him is what we're going to do with him. This is what we're going to do with you. This is your lane. But it's hard for us to just be content with our lane. This is what Proverbs chapter 16, verse 8 says. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. See, you, you've been given an assignment. You've been given a lane from God. And in that lane, it's okay to make plans. If you want to work your way up at work, that's great. Make your plans to do that. If you want to move from an apartment to a house, that's fantastic. Make plans to do that. If you want to, you know, make plans to move from, uh, you know, like the worst car ever to like the second worst car ever, you know, I'm supportive of that. That's fine. Make your plans. But remember, as you make plans, it's God who establishes your steps. Meaning, you and I can make all the plans that we want to make. But unless there is ground under our feet from God, we shouldn't take any steps. Because as we look at our lane, and then we start looking at other people's lane, we go, well, I kind of like to have that coming down my lane. We'll be tempted to take what is not ours just because we can instead of waiting for what is ours from God. I remember when, uh, and I've told you before that, after I graduated from college, Amanda and I moved to England for five months. We took this little five-month ministry assignment in northern England, worked at a a little church up there. um, Amanda had graduated from college a year earlier than I had, and so she had supported us through that last year of school, and it was her job that was allowing us to take this ministry assignment over there because she could work long distance. So it was time for me when we came home from our five-month ministry assignment to be a man and get a man job, like a real job. It was just time for me to do that. Men, if it may be time for you to do that. This may be the Lord telling you to get a man job. And so I knew I need to do that. The problem, though, is we were kind of on the other side of the world. And being a minister you're, is not really one of those vocations that you can just send out your resume to 100 different places. Because, you know, if you're an engineer, you can call up some engineering firm and go, you know, I built this. Boom. It's awesome. I'm awesome. Hire me. But, you know, as a minister, you can't call a church on the phone and go, hey, I'm awesome. I think you need to hire me. There's some humility that kind of needs to be in the works there. And so I felt kind of stuck. I needed a job, but I was kind of powerless to work the system to get a job. But as the summer started kind of coming along, I started to get more and more and more nervous. 
No, it's one thing to pray, but when the answer to your prayers is not coming down the pipe in a very tangible way, it's kind of scary. And so I started thinking back through, you know, what am I going to do? And there had been a, a church that had sent a team a little bit earlier in the summer. And the pastor came on that team. He was an amazing man, amazing church, really connected with him, awesome kids. And so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to email him. And so I emailed him covertly by saying, hey, just want to thank you for sending your team to work with us. They were so awesome, which they were, but it was convenient since I was getting ready to kind of ask him for something. Just enjoyed it so much, enjoyed talking to you. And oh, by the way, if you would remember us in prayer, I need a job when we come back home. Meaning, give me a job. And it worked. <laughs> he sent me an email back and said, hey, we got this position. I think you'd be perfect for it. But it was, it was just rotten in me. Because what I had done is I had made plans in my heart. And then I took steps where there was no ground. That was not my lane. And instead of waiting in my lane for what God did have, I took what I could. And thankfully, we didn't end up in a bad place by taking that, that job. But it's so hard to be content. Contentment is the most elusive of ideas in our world and in our soul. Look back at verse 2. Of Psalm 131. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Meaning I am staying in my lane. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. You know as a baby matures... It's, it's weaned, it becomes more self-sufficient, and it moves into this, this stage as a child where, uh, you know, a child is, is perfectly content and peaceful. You know, that doesn't last forever. You've got babies who are um, never content, and you have adults who are constantly weary. But right in the middle, you have children who are just at peace. Now, this week, we went to Galveston over spring break, which, by the way, Galveston is getting more and more beautiful. It's crazy. The, we pulled into the, you're not going to believe me, but you need to go. We pulled onto the island, and Amanda and I were like, is the water blue? <laughs> yeah, the water is blue. And the beach was nice, and the weather has been so amazing this last couple of months. Maybe God is turning us into San Diego. I don't know. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be a miracle? And so we were there on the beach, and and I'm all in my hooded sweatshirt and my shorts, which is like what people in California do. Man, this is amazing. And I'm sitting in the chair, and I got my Bible here and my little notebook. And, and I'm thinking about Psalm 131. I'm thinking about children and babies and contentment and peace. And, and while I'm doing that, I'm watching Annabeth, who's four. And, and Annabeth kind of was in this 
the circle where she would she was digging in the sand, making some kind of sand castle, and she would do that for five minutes, and she would run and play in the water a little bit. Then she would do that for just a little bit because it was super cold. And then she'd run over and she'd write big letters in the sand. She can't really do letters, so they were like hieroglyphics and symbols. And, and then she would go back to digging in the sand, and she would go play with her friends. She was just kind of in this little loop, and, and she was just happy, and she was in her little bathing suit, and her legs were running in the sand. The sand was kicking up behind her. And I'm sitting in this chair, and I'm thinking, what's the difference between Annabeth and I? Because all that stuff is right around me. The water is right around me. The nice weather is around me. The sand is under my feet. But I don't feel the same as she does. It's because while I'm sitting there, I have big questions and unanswered things and what ifs all in my brain at all time. And you do too. Always lurking around is what's going to happen next? How's this going to come together? How am I going to do that? What's going to happen with this person? But to a child, they're just in the moment. It's moving from thing to thing to thing to thing. Annabeth's not asking herself big questions as she's running on the beach. She's not even worried about lunch. She's just in the moment. She's totally content. It's a progression of maturity. And somewhere along the way, we lose that. And if you and I, we want a calm and quiet soul, we have to relearn contentment. That's what Paul says. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. This is what he says in verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. Meaning I I know what it's like to be poor. And I know what it's like to have plenty. In any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So he's saying, I've learned how to do it. I've learned the secret of being content, whether I'm rich or whether I'm poor, whether I have a ton of food or I have very little food, whether I have everything I want or I have nothing that I want, I've learned the secret. That would be like for you and I saying, I've learned the secret of being in a mansion or being homeless. I've learned the secret of being content, whether I'm driving a Mercedes or I'm driving the worst of the worst of the worst. I've learned to be content whether I have a six-figure job or I have a six-dollar-an-hour job. I've learned to be content. I've learned the secret. And then look at what he says next. I can do all things through him, Jesus, who gives me strength. Now, you and I, we've heard that verse before. You've seen it plastered on t-shirts. You've seen it plastered on billboards. You've, you've seen you know, athletes use it to say that they can win the game. But look at the context that it comes in. I can do all things, meaning I can be content in all things through Christ who gives me strength. You have to relearn contentment. And it's possible through Jesus. And I love that he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, because that's 
That's a big obstacle for us this morning, isn't it? I mean, you've already talked yourself out of a calm and quiet soul because you're like, well, I would be calm and quiet in my soul. I would have peace, but, you know, these, this all around me, if this would just go away, then it would be fine. I have real needs. If I could just get this need met, then I would be calm and quiet. Then I would have peace. You know, need is a, it's a dangerous word. Because I, I just define need based on whatever I want right in that moment. There's a sliding definition of need based on whatever it is I'm staring at. I thought about bringing some monuments to my need today, but there would be so many that I couldn't fit them up on the stage. Like the coffee maker. When I was in my 20s, I wanted to be sophisticated. No, no, I didn't want to be sophisticated. I needed to be sophisticated. And I needed to learn how to drink coffee. I didn't like coffee at the time, but I needed to learn it. So I needed to go to the store and buy a coffee maker. Then I needed to buy the grinder of the beans, which is right next to it. Who needs a grinder in your house? I needed a grinder in the house. I needed it. It's not that I wanted it. I needed it. I even brought the little brush that you clean out the grinder with. needed it. I needed those tennis rackets because I needed to get into shape. So I was a good husband and I bought Amanda one too. I needed it. They're hanging in our garage right now. I've used it five times in 10 years. I needed it. I needed to get in shape and lose some poundage a long time ago. Not today, obviously. And I needed to read the South Beach diet and I needed to go to the grocery store and spend hundreds of dollars, which we didn't have on food, salmon, salmon, which just stayed in our refrigerator for years because who wants salmon? Nobody wants salmon. It's pink. I needed it. And you can go back home to your place today and just gaze at all the things that you once needed. Because need just means whatever we want it to mean in that moment to justify doing whatever it is we want to do. So if need is your obstacle today, you don't need the situation that you're in to disappear. What you need is Jesus. Because it's in his strength that you can do all things. It's in his strength that contentment can come to you. A calm and quiet soul. That's what verse three of Psalm 131 is saying. It's just saying it in a different way. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Hope in the Lord. Contentment is not at the end of the resolution of whatever it is that is confronting you now. Contentment is in the Lord. Because listen, there's a lot of false peace out there. A lot of false peace. Some of us want a calm and quiet soul. All of us want a calm and quiet soul. And we just turn somewhere else to get it. But it's a false peace. You have people who will turn to alcohol 
not even in an abusive way, in a way that we would say is alcoholic, but just they got to have that drink to have peace. Makes everything better. That's false peace. You know, some of us, it's our routine. That's me. When I'm in my routine, when I'm doing the things that I want to do, then there's peace. But as soon as that, that routine gets interrupted, peace goes and anger replaces it. That's false peace. That's why some of us say no to everything. Just don't ever say yes to anything unless you want to say yes, unless the yes comes from you, your idea. Then you just say no because you can't have a calm and quiet soul, so you try to have calm and quiet circumstances. That's false peace. True peace, true contentment. A calm and quiet soul is with the Lord. We put our hope there. I want you to turn, and this is where we'll end, to Luke chapter 8. says in verse 22 on that day he Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them let us go across to the other side of the lake so they set out and as they sailed he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger and they went and woke him saying master master we are perishing And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obeyed. In my whole life, I've thought about that story. I've thought about peace thought about a calm and quiet soul. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's the answer. The answer is for Jesus just to step into the middle of my situation and say, peace, and everything to immediately fall into place. That's what I thought the point of that story was. But then you read it again and you see that Jesus is, is almost frustrated that he has to calm the storm and the sea. Because he says to them, where's your faith? In the other stories in the gospel, he's doing things because of their faith. And in this one, he does this because they lacked faith. So what did Jesus want for these guys? I mean, how would you feel if you were in the middle of this massive lake, which was so big they called it a sea? This is not something that you can see the shore over there and the storm, you can just swim right over to the edge. I mean, this is as if your boat falls over, you're going over and you're not coming out. So it was a very real situation. What did Jesus want for them to do? Notice what the disciples say. They say, we're perishing. We're perishing. We're dying here. See, I think what Jesus wanted were as they're bailing out the water, which was very much coming into the boat. 
I think he wanted them to remember as they're funneling the water out that Jesus is over there. And if he's in the boat, then I'm gonna hold on to my peace. Doesn't mean I stop shoveling out the water. It doesn't mean that I'm not scared sometimes. It just means I'm gonna hold on to my peace. See, you and I, it would be amazing if you leave today and everything that is causing you stress and causing your soul to be up and down, if it was just gone when you left, that would be amazing. But I think the faith that Jesus wants from us is to say, I'm gonna hold on to my peace whether the storm goes away or not because I believe that you are with me. And if you are with me, then I can still have a calm and quiet soul even if nothing else in my life is calm and quiet. So last night I was just praying and trying to be before the Lord and give you some examples. Maybe these resonate with you. Maybe they're just for you. But I felt like I felt like this was for somebody. And so I want you to close your eyes with me and this is where we're gonna wrap up. And if one of these sounds like it's for you, then it probably is. If you are worried about your child eventually conforming to normal, Jesus is in the boat, so hold your peace. If you are choosing between two bad options, he is in the boat with you. Hold your peace. If you are wondering if you are loved, he's in the boat with you. Hold your peace. If you are alone, you are not alone. He is in the boat. So hold your peace. If you are wondering if this sickness will end in death, he is in the boat. So hold your peace. If you are wondering how much longer, he is in the boat. Hold your peace. Jesus, teach us how to carry our peace, which you have ordained for us. Whether there is a storm or calm, put in us calm and quiet souls. I pray for every person now who has an anxious heart. I pray that that heaviness be replaced by your peace that can only come from you.